Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Got to pause for a moment and give you a Ramadan Mubarak. Blessed Ramadan. We are uh, just speeding through this blessed month. Hope you are uh, benefiting from it. Hope we are all benefiting from it. Um, anyway, if you are new to the Radio Islam program, uh, to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We're on every day, 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And that is the same username that you'll use to catch up on those episodes that you may have missed. But you are definitely going to be glad that you have caught up on them. So you can find them wherever you get your podcast. So if that's Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or iTunes, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Last but not least, if you'd like to give us a call throughout the course of our discussion tonight, you can do so at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Okay. Radio Islam family. Um, once again, uh, assalamu alaikum. Uh, good evening. Hope everyone, everyone is in good spirits. Uh, we've got a, I guess, a weighty conversation uh, tonight that we're going to get into. And we're going to be talking about the appointment of uh, Gina Haspel uh, to the, uh, as the director of the CIA. Uh, she's the first, she's the first uh, woman director uh, of that agency. And she spent uh, about 32 years, I believe, in the field, uh, been with them for 33. And as many of you, if you're paying attention to the news cycle, uh, you may have been aware that her appointment was opposed by uh, a number of people, but uh, most notably among them, uh, Senator John McCain. Uh, once again, many of you may recall that he was a prisoner of war um, uh, who endured some horrific treatment, uh, which left him with uh, which left him with permanent lasting um, disabilities. Uh, that being said, uh, torture was one of the issues that was central to the objection uh, as uh, Haspel ran a CIA black site in Thailand uh, in uh, 2002 and detainees were uh, brutally interrogated with tactics uh, which are torture. So anyway to help us unpack that and to, and to really see this in a, in a broader and more uh, a detailed um, perspective we are joined on the phone by Joseph Margulies. Uh, he is a civil rights attorney, a professor at Cornell University, and author, most, re most recently, of What Changed When Everything Changed, 9-11 and the Making of National Identity. Uh, is also one of the uh, 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 counsel to one of those, um, one of those torture victims, uh, Abu Zubaydah. Uh, Mr. Margulies, are you with us? I am. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it is a pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely, the one thing about the news cycle is that uh, we, we basically get to paint with broad strokes, and we don't get to get into the, a lot of times get into the details, even though there were confirmation hearings for uh, Gina Haspel. I would probably say that the majority of Americans did not watch those, and if they did watch, they didn't go over the transcripts. Uh, and th there was not the type of attention that was paid to it that would allow us to I'm going to use a, a, a phrase that I saw in a piece that you wrote. I, it, it just took me, and that was um, deliberative um, democracy. And it doesn't allow us to really engage in that. What has been your, uh, if you could give us your assessment of uh, Gina Haspel's um, uh, appointment to the position and some of the things that, that might help us better understand it? Well, uh, thanks. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the opportunity to take kind of a deep dive on this, because you're right, there's a lot of um, knee-jerk reactions on both sides. Um, there's a lot in her history that um, is enough to give people pause. Um, she, as you pointed out, uh, 
was in charge of a black site, the first black site, in fact, in Thailand. She got there in December of 2002 uh, and oversaw the site when one of the two prisoners who were there, the second to, to arrive, was subjected to uh, the, quote, enhanced uh, techniques, which, which you're absolutely right, are, are torture. We shouldn't, we shouldn't indulge fictions about euphemisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also um, uh, wrote the directive um, that uh, ordered the destruction of the tapes of another prisoner's interrogations. Uh, when he was tortured, they taped his interrogations. There were 92 different tapes of his interrogations. That actually was my client. That was Abu Zubaydah. Okay. And then uh, she ordered the destruction of those tapes. So those two things are what gave people a great deal of concern. And for some people, that was enough to uh, disqualify her. Mm. Um, I tried to take a, 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 a deeper look. I thought that those two things started the conversation rather than ended them. Um, she, uh, I, I ended up concluding after watching her testify and reading the transcript and listening and reading the subsequent answers that she gave to follow-up questions, concluding, I ended up concluding that we could have done a whole lot worse uh, than Gina Haspel, mm. considering uh, the president who appointed her. Um, she is personally opposed to the techniques. She thinks they were wrong. She insists that they will never start again on her watch. Um, she uh, thinks it was a mistake. Uh, now, she is not as condemnatory as I would like. She doesn't say, for instance, that they were um, illegal. Right. And she should. They are illegal. They were illegal. Um, she's not willing to – she continues to believe that they got useful information. Mm-hmm. That's contrary to everything that I've seen, everything in the record that I've seen. Uh, what, what I understand is that they got – what information they got, they got before the torture began. Um, so it's not perfect, but it could have been much, much worse. You know, there is something, um, well, first of all, the idea, and most, uh, most research will, will attest to the fact that uh, uh, torture victims will say just about anything. So that does not go, that um, doesn't seem strange that the quote-unquote useful information that they received was information they gathered prior to these torture, uh, prior to any, any uh, uh, methods of torture being uh, inflicted upon individuals. That's um, right. The, the the next thing I would say is even though, uh, even though Miss Haspel has said that she would not uh, restart those types of uh, programs, um, there seemed to be uh, in your writing that there was that the language was was conditional, almost as if um, we have some regret about it or we won't we won't do these things because because you're looking right that was she said that and i and i waited for her to say that our concern is not simply that we might get caught doing something wrong Mm -hmm. but that it was itself wrong and after i wrote that i mean you catch the difference right yeah it's one thing to do something and say "Ooh, i might get caught but then you have no particular remorse about it or sense that it's wrong you just don't want to get caught Mm -hmm. And it's another thing to do it and say, ugh, this was wrong. And after I wrote that and made that distinction, and I'm not saying she did this in response to my writing, but the fact is I wrote that. I wrote, said, oh, I wish she had offered her personal position and said, I find this personally wrong. And then she filed subsequent uh, answers to the, to the senators in which she came out and said that. And she said, I think it was wrong. It was a mistake, and it was. And I am personally opposed to what was done. Mm. And I was gratified to see that. I was. I you know, if we can take her at her word, and some people aren't prepared to do that, and I get it. They they just have a mistrust mm-hmm. of everything the CIA says because of their history, 
because of the CIA's history, both recent and remote. Right. I get that. But, you know, that's another way of saying that nothing would have satisfied them. If we can take her at her word, she she at least said the right things. And and it could have been so much worse. And frankly, under Pompeo, you know, her predecessor, mm-hmm. it was. He doesn't have any of this kind of nuanced position that she has. So, right. uh, as I say, it, it given, well, just today, just today, the president appointed a guy who was viscerally, vocally anti-immigrant to head the agency in charge of immigration and refugee uh, affairs. So, so, so given this president, it could have been, <laughs> heck, he came out and said during the campaign that he thinks torture swell. Let, let me ask so, this, though. Let me ask this. Let me go back yeah. to um, the statements that Ms. Haspel made later on. Were those sta- well, did those statements come after um, her testimony uh, or her questioning the confirmation process when Senator um, uh, Harris, Kamala Harris, asked her uh, directly uh, three times, and, and, and you wrote about this, uh, and the same answer each time. It was it was it was a lot of uh, equivocation. There was not right. a there was not a direct answer. It as a matter of fact, she even went back to uh, in her last uh, in her last response. Uh, she says that uh, that we did an extraordinary work. Uh, to prevent another another attack on this country, given the legal tools right. we were asked to use, so she she fell back to the legality of it, um, as opposed to uh, a, a, an idea that you uh, interjected in your writing, which was the morality of it. That's right. And yeah, and that was what was so disappointing to me in her testimony. I was really, I was really dismayed by her exchange with Senator Harris, mm-hmm. uh, and it was after the testimony. What often happens in these confirmation hearings is senators will file questions after the hearing. And that's what they did. They filed questions. And in her, and one of them was a question by Senator Harris saying, are you morally opposed to the enhanced interrogation techniques? Yes or no? And in her answer to that, she said, yes, I am opposed to them. I think they were a mistake and I am personally opposed to them. Hmm. But and those are available publicly. Those were those were released publicly. Right, but that's not something. That, at least I don't recall seeing that in the news cycle. Right. We, well, it we was just, disappointing. I, right? I, it was a very brief, as you say. I mean, everything has a shelf life of about ninety seconds. You mm-hmm. know, and so she, there was a, a flurry of information when she was nominated, and a flurry of information when she testified. And the follow-up answers. You know, there was an article about it, but it was nothing. Also, by that time. It was obvious that she was going to be confirmed. So there's no longer a fight. There's no longer a real controversy. So people move on to the next fight. Uh, and, the, and if there's one thing that the press loves, it's, you know, reporting on a fight. Right. Well, once it was clear that she was going to be confirmed because several Democrats uh, jumped over the aisle and voted for her confirmation, then there's nothing to there's – nothing, there's no fight going on here, so the media stops covering it. Right, right. Now, you wrote also that uh, posing the question about Gina Haspel being good for the CIA, but is she good for America? Right. And t- talk to us a little bit about, about that train of thought. Well, what I meant there was I, I don't think there's any question that she'll protect the agency. She's a champion of the agency, of the CIA. She's been there, as you say, over three decades. She came up through the ranks. She's part of that culture. She believes in it. She believes that as an agency it serves a useful and important purpose in American life. And she's going to protect it from unfair attacks. I don't have any doubt about that. The question that I was left with was wondering, is she so much of a champion of the agency that she will protect it from legitimate attacks? I mean, when it does wrong, when it does wrong, when people within the agency do things that they shouldn't have done, is she going to rally around them because she doesn't want to uh, bring the agency under disrepute or uh, in a bad light, knowing that or fearing that um, things will be blown out of proportion or something like that? Mm-hmm. And, and that would be a disservice to the country. It might be good for the agency, but it's not good for the country. And... Uh, I am a little uneasy about that. Again, her written answers afterwards addressed that, and uh, but but I'm still I'm I'm still in doubt. 
uh, although, you know, at that point, you know, uh, that's a level of then you're really asking for 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 the moon, right? right. I mean, it, it could have been so much worse. Oh, sure. Uh, but yes, I do have that concern. You know, th there's something to be said once again about what takes place off of camera, yeah. um, and the importance that is put uh, that's put on what we see and realizing, uh, as you as you mentioned, that every story uh, has a, has a shelf life, and we're in a 24-hour new, news cycle where. Uh, what's important today is is gone by midday, not even the next day, yeah. but by midday. Um, and it's even worse because with, with this guy, there's always a new outrage, right? I mean, it's there's something outrageous like every every couple hours, and so it's hard to stay focused on one thing. So anyway, I interrupted you. I no, 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 it's, it's quite all right. Um, but uh, what I'm looking at is the the weight that is given to the public statement. Uh, and then it's, it's almost like the retractions that are that are given sometimes um, or corrections that are made. Those corrections don't get the type of public attention that they deserve uh, that would allow people to uh, to make thoughtful decisions that go beyond simply what is best for my uh, quote unquote, my group. Um, right. And to, to, I'm, I'm saying all that to say this. Do you think that uh, when it comes to morality uh, and it being a factor? in how we, in the positions we take around things like torture, uh, being a world leader, uh, which means that as a nation, that we all bear a, uh, we bear a portion of the responsibility of that leadership. Uh, do you think that morality factors into the decisions, uh, the, the American people, into our decisions when it comes to um, uh, when, it, when it comes to gauging somebody like uh, Gina Haspel. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I feel that very strongly, extremely strongly. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we in this country tend to, as a default, fall back on the question of whether something is legal, right? Yeah. And so, we, so, so language about uh, lawfulness substitutes for language about morality, right? And so people say, well, and this is, of course, what defenders of the torture program say. They say, well, it was, the, the lawyer said it was okay, as though that answers all the questions. Right. Well, let me tell you, I'm a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for more than three decades. I've been a lawyer for about as long a time as she has been with the CIA. Mm -hmm. And you can hire good lawyers that will make almost anything look legal. And hell, if they can make torture look legal, and that's what they did. They filed this very sophisticated, uh, dense legalese memo studded with footnotes. Oh, see, here is a document that says it's legal. Mm -hmm. If you rest on what a lawyer tells you, you will relinquish your own moral voice, and you surrender it to uh, the lawyers. Well, that's a terrible habit to get into, because ultimately, if you relinquish that voice for too long, when you need it, you will no longer have it. So I think it is incumbent mm. upon us to always engage in thoughtful, careful, not name-calling, right. but thoughtful, careful, uh, moral reasoning about whether this is the sort of behavior that a country ought to engage in. Uh, under, uh, you know, and, and it should be put to the group. That's what deliberative democracy is. Mm -hmm. So I think it's extremely important, and I, I, I celebrate questions like this. It's why I always, have always believed in the, the, the flip side of this is maximum transparency. We should know exactly what the government is doing so that we can make this informed judgment, both uh, you know, the, the argument in favor of it and the argument against it. When, they, when they're operating in the dark... Mm -hmm. It's very difficult for us to make informed moral judgments because we are left with wondering why they're doing something or just what exactly they're doing. And so what? We're just supposed to trust them? How can I, that's a, how can I exercise a moral voice if you're telling me, well, I can't tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing or what I'm doing exactly? Mm -hmm. no, that's not. If, if I'm going to be a, a moral actor in the system, you've got to share with me what's happening. So those are the two pieces of my philosophy that I feel very, very strongly about. Do you think that, um, and, and maybe I take for granted at times this idea when, when I use words like morality, 
and uh, I'm not going to get into ethics because that that is a, a much larger uh, can of worms. But uh, morality is something that is universally understood. Uh, and I think I'm, I probably there's probably some some naivete in, involved with that. Um, but as it relates to deliberative democracy, uh, which means for me is that it goes beyond your, uh, your, your partisanship. It goes beyond your political uh, affiliation and that the basis of your, uh, that there's still a moral basis. Uh, do you think that we have an agreed upon definition or understanding of morality that goes beyond simply um, the ends justifying the means? Um, I think that it's not fixed in time, but I think that the nation, uh, and, and, and it's not the same for everyone, mm-hmm. but I think that over time, a set of uh, moral principles emerge that are more or less accepted within a majority of the population uh, at any given moment or any given epoch, if you will. So, for instance, it is now generally accepted. Some people want to go back to a different time and place mm-hmm. that it is wrong to discriminate against people on the basis of race. Yeah. Right? There was a time when most people thought that was perfectly fine. Sure. And most people thought that was perfectly fine and appropriate, mm-hmm. and that you could lawfully and appropriately and morally say to of an African-American or a Jew, no, you can't buy a house in this neighborhood. You just, I'm sorry, but you just can't. Mm-hmm. And people were perfectly upfront about it. They're perfectly content about that. Yeah. Um, so uh, moral judgments change. They, they develop over time. They, they can trend this way and that way. And it's certainly wrong to believe they only always go one way, which is totally, you know, an uh, ever uh, more liberalizing trend. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that while there w- won't be universal agreement, there ought to be discussion. And so, for instance, there ought to be a, a, a discussion about whether, okay, have we just changed our view on torture? Maybe we just think torture's okay. Mm. I, I, I think we, it's incumbent upon us to have that conversation. It's not enough to say, Eh, this wasn't torture, which is what people say. And besides, the lawyers blessed it. The lawyers, you know, they gave it the once-over, and they said it's okay. That evades the question. You and I know it's torture. Now, if people want to come out and say, yeah, it's torture, and it's all right, then let's have that discussion. Let's not pretend that it's something else and, you know, hide behind the skirts of a lawyer. No, that's no good. But, you know, what? even in in having that discussion, which I think is certainly healthy as opposed to uh, as opposed to operating um, as if the question has already been answered, um, th- it takes away, I think, from the moral high ground that we uh, that we attempt to that we attempt to act on or act with uh, throughout the rest of the world. There is a there is a sense that when the United States, when we speak, uh, regardless of our own. Um, our own past uh, and our own issues that we deal with, you know, that many other nations deal with, uh, but that we speak from a position of moral strength. Uh, do you think in having a conversation like that, that it would take away from that, from that position of uh, moral, that take away from that moral high ground? Yes, and it ought to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there's nothing exalted about hypocrisy. <laughs> And, you know, where do you get off, not you, but where does the country get off lecturing uh, uh, Leader X mm-hmm. about, you know, what's right with the world and what's wrong and how they ought to behave if we engage in the exact same behavior that, they con- that we condemn? So, uh, yeah, let's also have a conversation about hypocrisy. Yeah, and, and who we want to be. You know, yeah, I, want to, precisely. I, want, I want to talk a bit more about uh, this maximum uh, transparency, but um, we need to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, um, I would love to, to get into that a, a bit more and see sure. what the implications are, especially for an agency like the CIA, which is, 
which has been historically dependent upon uh, its covert operations. That's right. So, all right, Radio Slam family, uh, we're going to take a, a short break. We're talking with uh, Joseph Margulies. Uh, he is a civil rights attorney, professor at Cornell University, and author of uh, What Changed When Everything Changed, 9-11 and the Making of National Identity. So we'll be back in just a minute. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 Eight zero six zero one four one. That's area code eight seven two eight zero six zero one four one, or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. In the streets below, traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38, and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brother's Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brother's Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brother's Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Foreclosure is hard on every member of the family, but your family is not alone. If you're struggling with your mortgage, there is help. To learn about the government's Making Home Affordable program, visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE to speak to a HUD-approved housing counselor. It's free of charge. Visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE today. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, NeighborWorks America, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. You can find us on social media at Radio Islam USA. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch up on those podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. Well, for those of you listening who'd like to give us a call, you can do so at 312-750-1178. That is 312-750-1178. Radio Islam family, we are joined on the phone this evening by Joseph Margulies. He is a civil rights attorney, professor at Cornell Cornell University, and author of What Changed When Everything Changed, 9-11, and the Making of National Identity. Uh, We've been talking about the recent appointment of Gina Haspel 
uh, is the first woman director of the uh, Central Intelligence Agency, uh, and quite a bit more just all related to that. So um, there was a term uh, in, in one of the pieces that you wrote, you talked about uh, maximum transparency. And my question is, uh, Joseph, how, do, how, how does maximum transparency uh, for us uh, as, as an electorate, um, how does that translate into uh, the CIA, an agency um, uh, who has depended upon not being seen, uh, how does it translate into their uh, work and their, uh, them achieving their objectives? Well, um, it's the critical question. And if I could say to you, oh, it's simple, here's the formula, you know, <laughs> uh, 32% secrecy, 68% transparency, right. henceforth and evermore, well, that would be simple. But of course, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. What you have to have is a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And the philosophy gives you a default orientation. Uh, and the default orientation has to be informed by the lesson of history. And the lesson of history is that the CIA and the government as a whole, and this has been the case for Democrats and Republicans, overprotects its information, not for legitimate national security reasons, but for fear of embarrassment. Mm. Right? They don't want to air dirty laundry. And that is the the thing that has to change. You have to recognize that the dirty laundry only gets clean if you expose it to the sunlight. Right. And, and, and so there has to be a philosophy in favor of maximum disclosure as much as possible uh, within the limits of allowing an agency to exist and recognizing that it some, sometimes has to operate covertly. Uh, but as soon as, even, even within that, as soon as it is possible to make disclosures about what was done, you need to do it. Uh, it, you, you can't specify it with more uh, precision than that, but you need a philosophical orientation in favor of maximum disclosure as early as possible. And that's not what we have now and have not had for some time. Mm -hmm. uh, let me ask this. I'm kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, was the uh, Iraq war built on intelligence gained from torture? Oh, yeah, we know it. We know it was. Um, in part, not, not exclusively. Uh, the, um, w one of the great um, failures of Colin Powell's presentation to the UN mm -hmm. when he said this, this, that, that, that famous presentation that he made is that we know that um, uh, uh, Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. Uh, we have hard intelligence that comes from uh, our, our sources. He relied on uh, information that came from the interrogation, uh, the torture uh, of a man by the CIA and by Libyan Secret Services, uh, in which he said, yeah, as, as you pointed out at the beginning of the show, They'll say what you, they, what you want them to say. Right. Uh, and he said that there was a connection between uh, Saddam and al-Qaeda uh, and that there was weapons of mass destruction, which turned out to be untrue. Mm -hmm. You know, um, quite often uh, detractors from a, a particular uh, policy or um, a politician or, or issue, whatever it is, quite often we are lumped into... Uh, or we accept or we we object based upon the political leanings of the individual that's speaking. And uh, I, I mentioned this, of course, I'm sure this sounds very familiar to you because you, you wrote about this, um, feeling that you know everything you need to know about the individual just by knowing what their political party is. Right. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, because one of the things that we, we, we try to do, we try to not just be, you know, doom and gloom, but what are the strategies for moving beyond uh, where we find ourselves right now? So what are some of the some of your observations and some of your um, recommendations for this diverse electorate uh, that we have in moving beyond that? Well, those are so. Um, I have to preface 
I think it's a great question. All of these are great questions, and I really appreciate this deep engagement. I have to preface that um, it is so difficult. I don't want the. I think it is offensive for mm-hmm. me to try to put myself in the shoes of um, uh, a Muslim in America today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the what is what you face, not everyone the same and not uniformly, and it's not the same all over the country. Yes, I get all that. Sure. But I don't experience any of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it is wrong and, and insulting if I were to say, here's what you all need to do. So <laughs> I can't do that, and I won't do that, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't walk in your shoes. Right. I, I'm, not, I'm not subjected to that kind of, um, uh, frankly, risk. Um, and in some places, in some parts of the country, and I don't have to tell you this, is a genuine physical risk. Sure. Um, so with that preface, uh, I, and I'm, I'm not naive, but I recognize how difficult it is to penetrate the noise. I simply refuse, I just won't do it, um, to condemn a person based simply on the fact that, for instance, Trump likes them, therefore I don't like them. Yeah. Uh, uh, on the flip side, that's Obama really easy did to it, do. Therefore, it's bad. <laughs> I, I just won't engage in that. Yeah. And that requires that you uh, sometimes swim against the tide. And when I came out with this more nuanced position on Haspel, even though I represent Abu Zubaydah, who was horribly, horribly tortured, mm-hmm. and it was his, the, inter- the tapes of his interrogation that were destroyed, friends of mine that I've known for a long time on the left were, were just flabbergasted and condemned me mm-hmm. uh, publicly. Well, you know, you just got to learn to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not, I can't give that advice to anybody else. I occupy a position of safety mm-hmm. um, that comes from being a 57-year-old white male who's a professor at an elite university and a lawyer and all these things. Um, so, I, so, so don't take this as saying this is what everybody else should do. Mm-hmm. But for me, I just refuse to engage in the reflexive cheering and uh, condemnation that is typ- typical of the public square nowadays. I just won't do it. You know, th- there is something very um, scriptural. I'm sure that there is uh, there are verses... Uh, in the Bible, uh, for those who are students of the Bible, that would um, give the same message. But there's a verse from from the Quran which I often think of when I'm in conversations with this theme of being uh, taking a principled posture, uh, not one that is, uh, as you mentioned, not one that's reflexive or one that is just uh, just just blatantly discriminatory, um, but but one that weighs uh, the facts that leans towards justice, even if it is, um, even if it indicts uh, one's own self. And, uh, and that's, you know, if, if you, uh, but it's, uh, it's uh, the fourth, uh, fourth chapter, fourth surah, 135th uh, verse. And uh, so I, I'm always, I'm always pleased to hear um, that, that kind of sentiment uh, being brought out. And, and, that, and it's an exercise too. It's not something that is, uh, because I think self self preservation is such a is just such a uh, a part of who we are. We don't really think about uh, sometimes our responses, but this is something is it's a deliberate exercise. So um, I appreciate that. But and I, I'll also say this too. I think even to your to your answer, uh, the, the question. I think it is something that I think we all, regardless of our uh, ethnicities and backgrounds and political leanings and whatever boxes we want to check off, I think it's something that we should all really take to heart and, and, and think on. So um, I, I appreciate the, the answer that you gave. Um, and the, uh, yeah, I definitely do. Uh, so let me ask you this. Uh, and then after this question, I want to ask you a bit about your, um, about the, uh, your, your book, um, if, if, we, if we could. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about the Rasul uh, versus Bush uh, case mm-hmm. and, and its importance? Yeah. So um, after 9-11, very shortly after 9-11, the Bush administration announced that it was going to use Guantanamo Bay as a detention center. 
and that it was going to hold people uh, that were uh, caught up in connection with the, uh, quote, war on terror uh, at this place called Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. Um, And I, along with lawyers at the Center for Constitutional Rights, uh, who are great friends and and wonderful civil rights lawyers, um, uh, teamed up and prepared litigation. And when the first prisoners were brought there in January of 2002, uh, we filed uh, litigation on their behalf. Uh, And the first litigation was on behalf of four prisoners, three from Britain and and, uh, one from Australia, Mm -hmm. or two from Britain and two from Australia, rather. And the lead prisoner in that case was um, uh, a man named Shafiq Rasul. Um, He was one of the Brits. Mm -hmm. And so the case became known as uh, Rasul versus Bush, and it was the first case that went up to the Supreme Court from or involving the detentions at Guantanamo. And it was important because it established the right uh, of the prisoners at Guantanamo to challenge their detention in court. They could go to court. They couldn't be held incommunicado beyond the law. Nobody gets to talk to them. Nobody gets to see them. Nobody gets to know what's going on. Nobody gets to know how they're treated. Uh, They are going to be subject to at least some court oversight, some judicial oversight, and therefore some public accounting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we won that case in 2004. So I, you know, I've been working on this stuff since I started working on it in November of 2001, within two months of 9-11. And it's been, it's just completely taken over my life. Um, uh, so that's what, that, that's Russell. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, that actually segues us um, perfectly into uh, into your book, uh, What Changed When Everything Changed, 9-11 and the Making of National Identity. Um, what is, I mean, well, the, the title, it seems to paint a pretty clear picture uh, as, to, as to where you're going, but if you could give us, and, I, and I'll tell you this, uh, I don't like to mention a book and not read it, so I'm going to be getting the book and reading it. Um, but if you could give us, what are some of the, the key points that, that uh, we can expect to, to, to glean uh, from this book? Well, you know, there were surprises in it. I, I thought that, well, it was surprises for me in, in researching it and writing it. I thought, and I lived through it, mm-hmm. that um, the United States, that the story would be, you know, 9-11 happens and everything runs off the rails and we gradually find our way back, which is the conventional narrative, you know, that there's this immediate departure uh, from uh, the principles that we associate with national identity, and then we make our way back over time, chastened, uh, regretful, and so on. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, when you look at it more closely, that's actually not what happened, um, particularly when it comes to, and, 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 and you know, if, if you have a, a young audience that, that um, you know, doesn't remember 9-11 personally, they just remember hearing about it from other folks, they, they, they may not know this. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bush administration immediately was uh, much better at tamping down uh, and not fanning the flames of Islamophobia yes. than, than people want to give them credit for. Yep. Um, and uh, President Bush... Uh, said things that later when President Obama said equivalent things or even, you know, more lukewarm, Obama was just lambasted for it by the right-wing media, and Bush had said even more uh, sympathetic uh, uh, declarations about the nature of Islam and whether it was opposed to the West, and etc. He made very clear that this is not a war against Islam, and this is a war against um a small number of people who have hijacked the that sort of thing. Right. Um, and people forget that. And they, they also forget that in the 2000 election, uh, it was the first time, and you, and you probably know this, that the Muslim community voted as a bloc uh, and could be said to have thrown their weight in favor of one candidate over another, and they threw their candidate, they threw their weight behind uh, uh, Governor Bush. Mm-hmm. And a number of people wrote, uh, particularly in swing states like Florida, 
um, that uh, you know President Bush owed his election to the Muslim vote because in places like Florida, and everybody knows that was the battleground state, um, uh, they voted. Exit polling showed something like eight to one in favor of uh, of uh, Governor Bush. So um, it wasn't until later; it was not right away uh, that there, that this uh, vicious, grotesque anti-Islamic um, narrative took shape. And in fact, it took shape only as President Bush weakened as a president, and then a different narrative on the right started to take hold. Um, and that really uh, solidified during the Obama administration. And the, when I say the making of national identity, uh, that's really become firmly, firmly embedded now within a certain section of the population. And it's, the, 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 the fact is it's much, much worse than it was immediately after 9-11 when you had leading political figures saying, no, 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 no. If you act on that kind of sentiment, you are being un-American. You would just never hear President Trump say that. He would no. just never say that. Yeah. And if you heard President Obama say that, and he did say it, mm-hmm. he would be attacked from the right. Sure. So the meaning of tolerance has really changed. And there's a similar sort of narrative about torture. The fact is the first voices about torture were from people like Alan Dershowitz on the left, and were roundly condemned on the right. They were saying, who the heck is this guy? You want to do what? Mm-hmm. You, want to, you want to put sterile, sterilized needles under someone's fingernails, which was Dershowitz's suggestion? <laughs> People on the right were saying, what, what kind of a barbarian is this? No country does that. Right. Uh, so the initial support for torture did not come from the right. It was only after we learned about the enhanced interrogation techniques, which came out in 2006, uh, that uh, people were saying, well, if this is policy, then I guess you've got to sort of jump on board with it. Yeah. And now that, too, has become a symbol of Republican attachment. And it's almost to be a Republican means to be anti-Islamic and to be uh, pro, quote, enhanced interrogation techniques. It's become a marker uh, for what it means to be a good Republican, which is a huge shift and if you take a poll, mm-hmm. uh, the majority of the country thinks that torture is at least uh, sometimes justified. It's no longer taboo. Even when you use the word torture in the question, right? you don't have to disguise it and, 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 and uh, uh, whitewash it by calling it an enhanced interrogation or aggressive interrogation. No, you can use the word torture. And people will say, yeah, I think it's okay sometimes. And, you know, I, I, we talked a bit about how the, the, the moral compass or the moral... Uh, the, the leanings can change, uh, evolve, or devolve over time. Um, I find that interesting considering the opposition. You know, as we started out talking about the uh, confirmation of uh, Gina Haspel and how she was opposed by John McCain, Senator John McCain. Um, do you think the voice of someone who has endured uh, torture and has the marks to, to, to prove it, uh, for him to come out against her, especially on the basis uh, where, where torture is a um, it, it is a, a, a central point to the objection that that has now fallen on uh, a country who no longer has the same type of sensitivities. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, I, I think it's a very good way to put it. No longer has the same sensitivities. And I, I, I think that in the twilight of his life, John McCain has emerged as really an honorable, he, he's really taken a kind of honorable elder statesman, uh, you know, voice crying out in the wilderness role. And people are turning away from it uh, and, you know, mocking the fact that he's dying, which I, I find just, it's just horrifying, yeah. um, just shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that we will come back to his voice. His voice will, will ring out uh, after he's gone and echo after he's gone. And on this point, he is absolutely uncompromising. Uh, party be damned. Right. And, I, and that is much to his credit. He is a man on this point. And clearly, I disagree with him on a lot of things. He has other principles that I just disagree with. Sure. But on this point, 
he is a man of deep, firm, uh, morally informed conviction, uh, and informed from his from his deep personal experience. And uh, it's an honorable thing to watch. He's a he is a good man on this issue. Yeah, you know what? And we're down to our last um, uh, minute. Um, I, I would say, well, if if you could give me a, a thirty second answer on this, that the polarization or the the lack of movement or latitude within the Republican, even the Democratic Party, um, where we're down to just a few key issues. Um, how do you feel that that is impacting our um, our, our political uh, discourse? Uh, it's the death of democracy. I mean, uh, that's, that's hyperbolic. That's too strong. <laughs> but it's the yeah. death of deliberative uh, problem solving. Mm. Uh, if all you need to know in order to understand a position is that there's a parenthesis and a D or a parenthesis and an R next mm. to this guy's name, and, and then you don't need to listen to what he or she says, mm -hmm. that's not democracy, that's just marketing, that's just branding. Yeah. And that is more menacing, more worrisome than any particular position. Yeah. If, you, if you can't talk, if you literally can't talk to people, then I, I don't know what our future is. That's yeah. the worrisome thing. It has been a pleasure talking to you. I thank you for joining us. Um, Radio Islam family, you all can get his book um, wherever you get your books, Amazon. Um, and uh, we'll put that on our page. We want to go ahead and thank our engineer over at WCEV, Ramon, for making sure we come through loud and clear. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg, uh, who's also producer of uh, tonight's show. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And we remind you the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Inc. With that, we're going to leave you good people as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.